The new year is often a time of reflection. You can be seated. A chance to look back on the past 365 days and remember. Sometimes the memories bring a smile, and other times they break our hearts. Chances are you've experienced a bit of both this past year. The new year is also a time to look ahead, to imagine what could be, to scan the horizon with expectation and seek God's guiding hand. It's a time to strive for better, to live louder, love stronger, and be more of who God has created us to be. It's an opportunity for new beginnings, a chance to start fresh, to pursue God with a renewed passion, and to press on with all our hearts. The truth is, God has been faithful this past year, and that faithfulness promises to carry us through the next. As the new year begins, may we remember this one simple truth. In Christ, we are a new creation. The old is gone, and the new has come. Good morning. Happy New Year. Who's ready for 2024? Amen. All right. This is the time of year where many people make New Year's resolutions. And I did a study on New Year's resolutions about four years ago, and not much has changed since then. Most New Year's resolutions, they center around either one of these two things, health or wealth. Most people are interested in getting either physically fit, eating better, or they're interested in something to do with improving their finances. Health and wealth continue to be the top two categories of interest for the new year. But what if we took a different approach this year? What if we stopped trying to be more like the world and start trying to be more like Jesus? How much different, how much different would that approach lead, right? What would it lead to? Now, I'm not discounting improving our health or improving our wealth or perhaps any other personal goals that we have. Those all can be great and noble things, but we shouldn't ever do them at the expense of being more like Jesus because being more like Jesus is a much higher calling. In fact, Paul said this to young Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8. He said, For bodily exercise <clears throat> profits a little. But godliness is profitable for all things, having promise of the life that now is and that which is to come. Now, some of us may look at this verse and think, oh, good. Physical exercise only profits a little. Whew, thank goodness. So why even bother, right? Now, that's not the, that's not the point that Paul is making here. He is simply saying that in comparison to godliness, it looks like a little. Because the benefits of godliness are so much far superior and transcend both this life and the life to come. Our highest priority and our focus should be becoming more like Jesus. So what are your goals for 2024? Have you given that much thought yet? It's okay to have personal goals, 
But we need to ask ourselves, how are these goals going to make me more effective at bringing glory to God and furthering the kingdom of God? Is your goal to get in shape so you will look good? Or is your goal to get in shape so you'll have more energy to do more for his kingdom? Our goals should be less about us and more about him. So we are beginning a brand new series today to kick off 2024. And this series is entitled, Are You Able? Are you able to be more like Jesus? We're going to focus over the next four weeks on how we can be able to be more like Jesus. What if 2024 is the year that we, as a church, made an impact for the kingdom of God? Jesus said we are to go and make disciples. And yet many in our churches today have a stay mentality instead of a go mentality. We'd rather stay and be cozy than go as we are commanded. We need to stop staying and start going. My prayer is that we as a church in 2024 will band together and go together and make an impact for the kingdom of God. But there is a major obstacle that we need to overcome to ensure that we stay focused on being more like Jesus. And it all centers around offense. The number of people being offended is at an epidemic level today. People are so easily offended today. And sadly, this is especially so for people in the church. You would think that those who are supposed to be the most like Jesus would live and act the most like Jesus. But is that what we see in the church today? I don't know about you, but I can say that some of the deepest offenses that I have witnessed or personally experienced have come from within the church. Why is that? Why are people so easily offended? I mean, think about this with me. Someone cuts you off in traffic, and then you just about lose all your Jesus wanting to chase them down and give them what for? You're laughing because you know. Someone cuts in front of you at the checkout line that you've been waiting way too long in. Someone says something critical or hurtful about you. We could go on and on about all the things that we get offended over. We are a society that gets offended so easily. But to live for Jesus, we have got to be unoffendable. And that's the title for today's message, unoffendable. Offenses will come our way. If it's not happened to you yet, it will. In fact, Jesus said in Luke chapter 17, verse 1, he said that offenses will certainly come, but woe to the one through whom they come. Offenses will come. Not maybe, they will, guaranteed. But how we choose to handle them is what truly matters. And we should never be the source of an offense. Woe to the one through whom they come. Now, the Greek word for offense is skandalon. It's where we get the English word scandal from. It primarily means two things. One, it's a stumbling block that is placed in our way to cause us to stumble or fall. And two, it's a trap. <coughs> now, I have a trap with me that I thought it'd be fun to kind of talk through with you. And uh, you may or may not be able to see it very well. I borrowed this from my neighbor, by the way, because he's a trapper. But it's got a, a bit of a snare here. You just open these little pieces here. You can see it better on the screen with the teeth. But it opens like that. And scandalon is this part right here where you put the bait on. 
So on the screen, that's that platform right there. That's what the word, that Greek word for offense is, skandalon. That's where the bait sits. So what happens is, is when you come and hit this, tamper with the bait, that trap closes in on you. That's what happens, and then you're shackled by it. You see the visual? That's what happens when we get, get offended. <clears throat> so we've got to be really careful. And you think about it. When I, I put this picture up here on the screen on purpose, because this is what our lives look like. Satan has these everywhere, just waiting to catch you in them. Probably when you leave here today, someone will tempt you about being offended somehow in some way. They'll look at you wrong. They'll say something wrong. They'll have a smirk on their face, something, and you're going to want to get offended. See, what happens is we take Satan's bait, and then we are trapped by the offense, and our minds start running with it. We stew over it. I can't believe he did this. I can't believe she did that. And the more we stew on it, the more offended we become. Now, I love the visual that you get looking at this trap and you're thinking about the bait sitting on the scandalon, which is the offense, and that trap, because that's exactly what Satan does with offenses. He sets the bait, and all of us have different bait. Some of us are lured by different baits, and Satan knows he's been studying us for years. But what he does is he sets that bait, and he lures us in with an offense, and then when we become offended, that trap closes. And this trap of offense is incredibly dangerous. It's destructive, and sadly, it's also very, very effective. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 19, tells us just how strong and effective an offense can be. Watch this. An offended friend is harder to win back than a fortified city. Arguments separate friends like a gate locked with bars. This is what an offense can do to us. We become trapped by it. And this trap is so strong that just as the word of God says here in Proverbs, it's harder to win that person back from the offense than a fortified city. Now, think about the time that this was written. What did a fortified city look like? It had very tall and thick walls all around the city to keep everyone out who was not allowed in. This is what happens when a person gets offended. They build up these protective walls, and these walls get bigger taller and they get thicker in our lives and taking this a step further as these walls become like a prison you then you become locked behind those bars just as proverbs chapter 18 verse 19 says when we get offended when we take satan's bait the trap closes around us and then we begin to build these protective walls locking ourselves in a prison of offense and we become our own fortified city now there are many of us who may believe that there are times when we have legitimately been hurt and therefore are justified in being offended. So let me pause for just a moment and acknowledge the pain and the hurt that can come when someone offends you. That pain is real. That hurt is real. I'm not trying to minimize that. But when that pain comes, and especially when it comes from a friend, it can be very hurtful. It stings. Who knows what that feels like? Yeah. But no matter how hurtful and no matter the source of the offense, we must be very careful not to think that we have a right to be offended. The pain can sometimes blind us in such a way that we then feel we have a right to be offended. Now, listen to me very carefully. We don't ever have a right to be offended. Some of you looking at me right now are offended because I just said you don't have the right to be offended. I know it. I can feel it. 
But Ian, you just don't know what that person did to me. Man, that is such a common phrase. You don't know what that person did to me. And my answer is, you're right. I don't know. But as a child of God, as someone who desires to walk with God and receive the blessings of God, you don't have a right to be offended. You don't. As a child of God, one who gets offended has forgotten what they have been forgiven of. That's what it comes down to. They've forgotten what they've been forgiven of. And every single one of us has offended God. And therefore, we have the right to burn in hell forever for it. But God loved us so much that he chose not to deal with our offenses as we deserve. As he hung there on the cross in agony, suffering for our sins, he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. These were the people who were screaming insults at him, mocking him and spitting on him. These were the people who beat him. These were the people who nailed him to the cross. And don't think for a moment that it was those people and not you. Our sins, every single one of us, put Jesus on that cross. We are all guilty before him because we all have offended him. Jesus had every right to be offended but he chose instead to forgive. He was unoffendable because he is able. Are you able? Are you able to be unoffendable? Jesus chose mercy and grace when we all deserve to burn in the lake of fire forever. So no, as a child of God, we do not have the right to be offended. We must be unoffendable. Now, in Matthew chapter 24, Jesus is talking with his disciples about the signs that we will experience in the last days when, uh, and here's what he said, beginning in verse 10. He said, and then many will be what? Say it with me. Offended. They'll betray one another and will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. So one of the signs that we're nearing the end of days is that many will be offended. Now, as I said in the very beginning, don't we see that today? You see a lot of offense happening today? Now, notice that verse 10 is actually a progression. Jesus is saying that many will be offended, and this is where the progression starts. It starts with the offense. And from there, if it's not dealt with, it will lead to betrayal. If you're taking notes You can put that in your blank there. Betrayal. And then ultimately hatred. That's the progression. We will go from being offended to betrayal and then to hatred. That's what will happen. And that's what Jesus is warning us about. This is serious. Children of God will go from love to hate because they were first offended. Now, we must understand that Jesus is not talking about the people in the world here. He's talking about children of God. Believers. It certainly wouldn't be any surprise at all if he were talking about the world. People in the world get offended all the time. They do all kinds of crazy, sinful things because they don't have the love of God in them. They don't have the Holy Spirit to lead and guide them by the word of God. So when we read this and we realize that Jesus is talking about believers, then this becomes very concerning. So how do we know this pertains to believers? Well, for starters, if you look in verse 12, Jesus says the love of many will grow cold. The Greek word for love that Jesus uses is agape. 
It's the highest form of love there is. This is the love on display at the cross when Jesus sacrificed his life for us. There are actually four different words in the Greek language for love. And three of them the world can use. Three of them the world can experience. But agape love, that fourth one, is only possible for those who have the Holy Spirit. And that is the word that Jesus uses in this text. Agape. You see, without the Holy Spirit, we are incapable of agape love. So the many Jesus is talking about here are believers. And then in verse 13, Jesus says, but he who endures till the end shall be saved. Now, an unbeliever has not even started the race. They've never ever made the decision to follow God. So it's not possible for them to endure till the end because they've never even made it to the starting line. You with me? It's only possible for believers to do this. So the many who will be offended that Jesus is talking about here are children of God. Now, let me come back to the progression that starts with being offended. When someone is offended, if the offense is not dealt with, it will lead to betrayal, and then it will lead to hatred. So naturally, we should be asking, how does this happen? How can someone who has received the grace of God by the love of God through their faith in God go from love to hate? Because that's what happens when we get offended and we don't deal with the offense. We get trapped by the bait of Satan and then we begin to build these protective walls around us like a fortified city. And if we don't deal with the offense as the word of God tells us to, and as Jesus so clearly shows us how, then these walls will get taller and taller, thicker and thicker, and we become a fortified city locked behind the prison bars of offense. That's what happens. And instead of loving and forgiving those who've offended us, we will betray them and we will hate them. So let's talk about the most common way we betray them. If we're honest, how do most of us deal with an offense? Do we go to the person who's offended us? Or do we go to everyone else and gossip about it? That's human nature. We want people to know that we're offended. We want people to take our side. But when we do this, we are betraying them. That's what's happening. You are betraying them. The word of God is abundantly clear about what we should do when we're offended. There are some offenses that we should just overlook. Because the love of God in us, we should just overlook them. Proverbs chapter 19, verse 11 says, A person's wisdom yields patience, It is to one's glory to do what? Overlook an offense. As children of God, we are to be slow to anger. We are to be patient. We are to have self-control, and we are to forgive. Can you imagine if every single time you offended God, that he would intervene in your life somehow and say, hey, what are you doing? Why'd you do that? I mean, every thought that doesn't honor him, every action that doesn't honor him, unless you're Jesus, you'd be peppered by him all day, every day, wouldn't you? No, the truth is there are many offenses that he overlooks in our lives. Now, that doesn't mean that he excuses them. It just means that his love and his grace covers them. And then he draws us closer to him through his Holy Spirit so that we no longer desire to want to do those things that offended him. It's a process. It's called sanctification. But God does overlook offenses in our lives. And there are times in which we need to overlook offenses in other people's lives. There are also times in which we should confront the one who offended us. But we need the wisdom of God to understand when to overlook and when to confront. 
Now, the very first thing that we must do when we're offended is to bring the offense to God. You don't get anything else today. This right here is something that you need to take with you. Bring the offense to God. We should pour our heart out to him in prayer about the offense and the one who's offended us. We need to seek him first. What does his word say about this? If we're walking with him as we should, then this shouldn't be too difficult. There are times when we will be offended and perhaps the one that who has offended us didn't do it intentionally. Maybe it was a misunderstanding. Maybe it was as simple as a careless or sarcastic remark, something trivial. So we love them, overlook the offense, trust God to make it right, and then move on. There may be other times where perhaps the offense is more serious and after Keyword, after first taking it to the Lord in prayer, we then decide that it's serious enough that we need to do something about it. I can assure you that something is never going and gossiping about it to everyone else except the one who offended you because that is betrayal. When we have moved from offense to betrayal, we are now on a dangerous path of progression that takes us from love to hate which is exactly what Satan desires in our lives. Gossip in and of itself is a serious offense. And listen, none of us want to admit that we do this. We'd rather hide behind some sort of holy justification like, I'm just telling you this because I need you to pray for this person. Or some other cooked up excuse that Satan has so cleverly deceived us with. Now, one deception is, is that if it's true, then it's not gossip. Really. There may be many things that may be true about someone, but we really need to ask ourselves, why am I sharing this? Is it to build the person up or is it to tear them down? Am I going to create more unity by what I'm going to share or is this going to cause disunity? Is it to make myself look good or better than the other person? What is the motive behind what we feel we need to share with others? Don't be deceived. Gossip is destructive and dangerous. The Bible says there are seven things God hates. You know what the seventh thing is? One who sows discord among brethren. In other words, gossip. Because when we gossip, we are sowing discord. And we are betraying the one who we're gossiping about. We have to be so careful that when we're offended, we don't move from offense to betrayal because that's the path from love to hate. So to properly handle an offense, we need to do one of two things. We either overlook the offense by forgiving the person and trusting the Lord to take care of it, or we go directly to the person and confront them about the offense. And as I've already said, we need the wisdom of God to know when to overlook an offense versus when to confront the offense. And if the Lord leads us to confront the offense, he gives us very specific instructions on how to do this because he gives us a pattern for how to address sin in the church in his word. And when there is gossip, which is a sin, we need to follow this pattern. And he lays these instructions out in a very specific order. So we're going to unpack each of these three steps that he gives in Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 17. So step number one, verse 15. If another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the what? Offense. Notice here that the word offense and sin are used interchangeably. You go privately and point out the offense. 
If the other person listens and confesses it, you have won that person back. So the person who is offended is to first take the offense directly to the one who offended them. If we're honest, the church in general does an absolutely lousy job at doing this. If you haven't seen this yet and you haven't been in church long enough, trust me. Oh no, we will do everything else but this step right here, going directly and privately to the one who's offended us. Why are we so comfortable ignoring this step and going to seemingly everyone else? We'll call up our best friend, a family member, another church member. Can you believe what this person said to me or what this person did to me? Or it could even be what this person said or did concerning someone else. You may not even be the victim. And even still, there we are telling someone else about something we have no business telling them about. And we're so good with making excuses for our gossip and rationalizing our gossip. As if it's okay to just ignore the word of God. As if it's okay to assassinate someone's character. As if it's okay to expose something that should remain private. As if it's okay to betray someone. And that's exactly what's going on when we gossip. Betrayal. It doesn't matter how much we try to sugarcoat our gossip. It's wrong and we shouldn't do it. Period. If an offense is serious enough for us to not be able to overlook it and trust the Lord to handle it, then we need to go directly and privately to the one who's offended us. And when we do, we do it in love. We don't do it with an intent to tear the person down who's offended us. We don't do it to be right. We do it to be righteous. Our intent should always be to restore the fellowship. The entire intent behind the instructions that Jesus gives us in Matthew chapter 18 is for restoration. It's not character assassination. It's not to win an argument. It's not for any other reason than restoring fellowship and maintaining unity. That's the purpose and intent of going privately and pointing out the offense. Now, if that doesn't work, step number two, verse 16. But if you're unsuccessful, take one or two others with you and go back again so that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. So if we're unsuccessful in step number one, we don't give up. That's the first thing to know is you don't give up. Ah, well, I tried. Oh, well. No, you don't give up. And we don't go and try to put together our own jury for prosecution either. Jesus says here we are to go get two or three others to serve as witnesses and then go back to the one who's offended us and try again. Now, there are many who skip step number one and they go directly to this step right here because it's so easy to go to others and build our case than it is to go directly and privately to the one who's offended us. And also notice that these people who we are to bring with us are not there to support our case they are simply there to serve as witnesses of what we say. Now, the hope is that there will be restoration. But after, after these first two attempts, Jesus tells us what to do next. And it's only to be used as a last resort. So here's step number three, verse 17. If the person still refuses to listen, take your case to the church. Then if he or she won't accept the church's decision, treat that person as a pagan or corrupt tax collector. This is serious, isn't it? But keep in mind, you should have exhausted steps number one and two before we ever get to this point. And we should have been burying this entire ordeal of offense in prayer, pleading with the Lord to help in restoring the fellowship and preserving unity. 
But in the event that this person who committed the offense will not listen, even to the church itself, then it becomes necessary to cut that person off from the fellowship. Sounds pretty harsh, doesn't it? But if this situation is not dealt with, as Jesus so clearly points out here, it will only get worse, and it will create more division. It's like a cancer. Sometimes you just have to cut it out. We are to protect the unity of his church. So again, step number three is a last resort. And it's only followed if we've exhausted steps number one and two after a ton of careful and diligent prayer. Now, all of this may seem overwhelming to you if you've really been hurt by an offense. You don't want to be limited to two options when you're faced with an offense because neither one of them sound very appealing, do they? We don't want to overlook an offense. We want the offense to be made right. And we certainly don't want to confront the offense. No, we'd rather take revenge or tell everyone else about it. Because when we're hurt by an offense, we act like we're justified in what we say or what we do about the offense. We'll tend to classify our justification as righteous indignation and we'll disguise what we say and what we do in our justification. You see, this is all a deception going right back to what an offense is. It's a trap, scandalon. It's a trap that Satan so cleverly put in front of us. We must be like Jesus, unoffendable. So how can we do this? How can we be unoffendable? Paul gives us the answer in Acts chapter 24, verse 16, when he says this. He says, And herein do I exercise myself to always have a conscience void to offense toward God and toward men. He exercises himself. In other words, he strives through discipline to always have a conscience void of offense toward God and toward men. I could say it like this. He works out. He exercises at being unoffendable. When we exercise, we discipline our bodies through repetition. That's how our muscles get stronger, through repetition, through exercise. And this is how we can be unoffendable. We exercise ourselves so that we don't have any offense toward God or toward our brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, let me illustrate it this way. When I was in college, I was playing football, and I had a very serious knee injury. And uh, I remember taking a helmet to the knee, and I was a running back, and this was during practice, and I took a helmet right to the knee, and I remember collapsing and going right down to my back. And I'm laying, laying there looking up at the sky thinking, am I going to be able to walk again? Tears were in my eyes, and I had, a, I had an upperclassman friend of mine who came to me. His name was Matt Cunningham. He grabbed my hand, prayed with me right there on the spot. And um, it was a long and very difficult road of rehab for me to bounce back from that. And through tremendous pain, I fought through all of the exercises that my trainer gave me. He put me through. And slowly, I began to heal and gain more strength. And by the grace of God, I am walking today. And you see, when we have an offense that comes to take you down, we need to be willing to go through the exercise of disciplining ourselves so that we can be unoffendable. And you have the best trainer in the world to help you. The Lord God Almighty himself in the person of the Holy Spirit who lives on the inside of you if you're a child of God. So don't fall into Satan's trap of offense and then build up your protective walls of defense becoming your own fortified city. No, recognize the trap of offense and either overlook it or confront it as the Lord so clearly tells us. 
Now, this takes practice. And this is why we must exercise ourselves so that we will always have a conscience void to offense toward God and toward men. Then we will be unoffendable. Now, what we're going to do now is we're going to uh, we're gonna begin to learn a new worship song together. Every week for the next four weeks, we'll be playing this song, and at the end of each service, uh, at the end of each service, we'll play this song. And we all need to hear these words. I want you to listen very closely. Allow the Holy Spirit to penetrate your heart. Listen to what He reveals to you. We need to let them sink in deep within our hearts because God is more than able. And we need to live our lives with that truth front and center in our, in our lives in all that we are and all that we do. God is more than able. The question for us is, are you able? Are you able to be more like Jesus? You see, I want us as a church to be seeking the Lord as to what he has for us to do in 2024 and beyond. We're not here to be an internal church, to just stay. We're here to go, to go and make an impact for the kingdom of God, for the glory of God. Amen?
worship you today. We are so thankful for what you've done in and through us in 2023, and we look forward to a new year, a new beginning, a new start. Some of us may be here and are ready for that new start. We've had a hard year. There's been things happen that have maybe rocked our faith or have maybe set us back in some way or another, but we know, Lord, that you are able. You are more than able. And so I pray, Father, that you would fill us with hope, that you'd fill us with strength, that you'd encourage us, Lord, to be unoffendable as you were. And Lord, it's always such a good reminder as we think about the, the, the sacrifice that you made on the cross. It's, I can't even get my head around it. There you were hung, hanging there on the cross, looking at those who put you there, and you forgave them right there on the spot. We have no excuse for never forgiving others. Matter of fact, your, word's really, your word is very clear on that. If we don't forgive others, you won't forgive us. And so I pray, Father, if there's anyone here today that is holding on to some sort of grudge or some sort of bitterness or anything that's um, withholding forgiveness for someone, regardless of what the other person has done, whether they've admitted it or, or not, is, is irrelevant. As children of God, we are to be unoffendable and we are to forgive. And so I pray today, Lord, if there's someone here that needs to be set free, from that prison of offense that they have been put in. I pray, Lord God, that you would draw them to you and that you'd encourage them to let go of that, to put it before you, recognizing that you work all things for the good of those who love you and are called according to your purpose. You are the just one. You are the only judge, not us, you. So, Father, help us to trust you with that completely. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. One thing I wanted to mention to you guys is um, David's going to be passing these out if you want them. There's these little booklets called Overcoming Offenses by Pastor David Husky. And uh, it's a very short read, take you maybe 15 minutes, but it supplements what you heard today. And he's got a lot of scripture in here to back up why we as children of God should always overcome an offense. We shouldn't let it get a hold of us. We should be unoffendable. So I want to encourage you, if you want one of these, raise your hand. David will pass one out to you. Uh, feel free to take one, but I, I want to thank you for being here today. And if you need prayer, if there's something you're holding on to that you need help letting go of, I'm here to talk to you about that. About that. If you're unsure of your salvation, your relationship with the Lord, and you want to make that clear today, come forward. I'd be happy to pray with you. But God bless you guys. Thank you. We look forward to seeing you back next week for week two of Are You Able? And Happy New Year. That's right. <laughs>